Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. President to come with you, the vice president, and any others. Um, they're working six days a week, 10 hours a day. But you, as you sit there, you're watching a border of people just running across. Because what they're doing with the border agents now, they're taking them going in, going inside to the processing centers. Well, it's not their job, but they're sitting inside and they're not being able to do their job. We've watched with the new administration where they'll leave gates open, where the mechanism, the mechanics have broken, but they won't fix it because somehow they think that's working on a wall, the infrastructure. You've got to get the infrastructure working. You should actually bring people in that are just processors, they're not border agents, and let them do their job. This is Kevin McCarthy, House Minority Leader, very possibly the next Speaker of the House, speaking in front of the White House after a meeting with Joe Biden, discussing how the Democratic-led Congress was not doing their job. Things have to change. Biden was meeting with a whole bunch of congressional leaders on legislative agenda. And Biden is, and, and McCarthy's just saying, all right, I got myself a, a, an audience of cameras here. I might as well... Uh, do my thing so he's doing it tony katz tony katz today good to be with you wasn't expecting this figured i'd just jump in and see uh where he is here and see what kevin mccarthy is talking about he was also discussing the fact that it's wrong that we fired people for not getting vaccinations especially in the military gotta bring those people back so mccarthy took advantage of of, of the audience and then said you know what i answered a couple questions I'm good. I'm going to walk away let people think it's a very presidential moment. And I just say thank you very much and, 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 and walk out. That's exactly what he did. Talking about the border there uh, at, the, uh, at the end, which continues to be an issue. Now, I'm keeping my eyes on what's going on in China. Or what's going on in China, I, I, I should say. What's going on in China is these continued protests over the zero-tolerance policy on COVID. This radical way of controlling people, keeping them locked in their homes, the people have had enough. They, They are protesting by the thousands all across China, and they're getting together and they're in tears because for many of them, it's the first time they've seen another person or been close to another person in six months, more. And these 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 things don't work. These these COVID restrictions don't work. And and I and I get the argument. I get the argument. Oh, look, uh, their COVID levels are going down. Their COVID levels go up. They go down. It's China. They're not honest with us to begin with. We have no idea. We have no freaking idea whether or not. Uh, China is having serious issues or not having issues. Everything they say is a lie. What is more bothersome is the Biden response, which was so mealy-mouthed, so just weak, because it wasn't a repudiation of Xi Jinping, the president of China. It wasn't strong. It wasn't supportive. It was that China should let people peacefully oppose COVID-19 lockdowns. But it was no shaming of Xi Jinping, shaming of the Communist Party, shaming of their failures. None. No opportunity to take advantage of this as a moment of strength and a moment of leadership. Why? 
because to do so would be to go against the political party in power in the United States, and too many of them have a desire for lockdowns as well. It is political. The political left, when it comes to COVID, absolutely acts from a place of fear and non-science. They scream science, but they don't act from a place of science because if they acted from a place of science, they would never discuss forcing masks on people again. Masks don't stop COVID. We have the data. We're done here. Masks can stop something, just not aerosolize COVID. The vaccine, for all we want to discuss it, depending on which vaccine we're talking about, doesn't work on variants and certainly not all variants, and how very well could it? You're going to claim booster after booster is going to do the job? How about the fact that the vast majority of people live through COVID? Well, some of them get COVID and they have long COVID and they suffer. I don't argue against the vaccine. I argue against forcing the vaccine. But certainly... You haven't shown, you haven't proven to America through any science that the booster makes the long-term difference. And I think you're a ways away from engaging the idea that yearly boosters for COVID, like you would do for the flu, is going to be the answer. They're going to wait to see what the data says about their health. Everybody who had their kid vaccinated, oh, kid's got to go to college, bloop. There you go. We're going to watch to see what their kids look like. All those people who are going to become new grandparents one day in the next five to ten years, everyone's going to wait to see what their kids look like. And then they're going to find out whether or not children should get vaccinated. You don't think that's true? I'm sorry. I think everybody thinks that's true. Everyone The left will be more believed or, or will believe more in uh, the government solution than the right. That is by nature. That is clear. But the left is not following more science. There is no science in regarding what China is doing to the Chinese people. Because communism is not based on science. It's based on power. It's based on power. That's what it is. And it's about control of the people. And the people are being arrested. They're being uh, thrown into isolation pods. And then there's this conversation of the help that China's getting, possibly from people like Apple. And you have Apple that has changed up how it does airdrop. Airdrop, right? I can send you an image. I can send you a song. I can send you whatever from my phone to your via the Wi-Fi. Boom, bop, bip. And I could send it to anybody who's connected. I could send out uh, the thing to 100. So you could share messaging about, hey, we're going to gather at this place and we're going to protest. So Apple, according to sources, they have limited the number of airdrops. Governor Ron DeSantis. And then as you've seen that go on in China, you know, there's reports that Apple is not allowing the protesters to use this airdrop function where they're trying to communicate. That obviously is providing aid and comfort to the CCP. And so you see that report, and that's very concerning. And then when you also hear reports that Apple is threatening to remove Twitter from the App Store because Elon Musk is actually opening it up 
for free speech and is restoring a lot of accounts that were uh, unfairly and illegitimately suspended for putting out accurate information about COVID. That's like one of the main things that's being reinstated. So many things these experts were wrong at, and you had people on Twitter that were calling that out. And Twitter, the old regime in Twitter, their response was to try to just suffocate the dissent. And, and, and Elon Musk knows that's not a winning formula, and so he's uh, providing free speech. And so if Apple responds to that, uh, by nuking them from from the app store, you know, I think that that would be a huge, huge mistake. I agree with that, but we'll talk about that uh, and maybe a little bit later, maybe another time. Apple preventing people from speaking in China. That's a bad look. Way too much reliance on China and something that we as a country should do something about. But never forget these people who are protesting are putting their lives on the line. And Joe Biden isn't backing them up, isn't taking this opportunity to slam Xi Jinping, isn't taking this opportunity to put himself up there as an actual leader of the free world and recognize that China is not prepared to join that group of people. Nope. Nope. Just let it slide. Remember that. Oh, and uh, for everyone saying, Tony, this isn't the top story. The top story is Trump's unbelievable dinner with Nick Fuentes and Kanye West. Well, it's a story. But in order to engage a story, you have to share all of it. So let's do that. (laughs) One and done, people. I promise. Keep it here. This is Tony Katz today. I ended up doing a video last night. I do a video series over at Rumble, rumble.com slash Tony Katz, and talking about this whole Trump dinner with Kanye West and this uh, Holocaust denier Nick Fuentes. And Trump should have left the dinner. dinner. Never mind if the dinner should have happened, Trump should have left the dinner. The, the minute you knew who the guy was, like, all right, we're done here. He didn't know, his staff didn't know, the whole thing just seems... Um, radical to me that no one knew just just no way and then of course uh, Kanye was on uh, Tim Pool's podcast with Nick Fuentes and they're arguing about Jews controlling uh, the, the, the world right you know and and uh, he's like why, why can't you why can't you say it why can't you say it extremely unfair to you I who think. is they though we can't say they is can we? I'm not using the. I don't, I don't use the word as the, as the way I guess you, you guys use. I'm, I'm talking. It is about them, it. though, isn't it? I mean, because <laughs> no. and, and because when you think <laughs> about not. it, consider it. In 2018. What do you mean it's not? It, what What do I mean? Like, uh, uh, okay, so how about? Are you leaving? Are you afraid of the press? He's on. And then Kanye walks out, and that. Look, I don't know how the whole interview went went down, and, and I'm not going to get into the fact that, okay, Kanye wants to tell me that Jews control uh, the media. I'll, I'll get to that later. But a lot of people, especially late-night hosts and others, see, see, this is Trump, you see. And I think what's important is covering the totality of a story. You'll notice I talked about this. I talked about it yesterday, and I'm bring. I did a video about it. Bring it up again today. I don't uh, 
sit there and defend the things that are indefensible or the people that are indefensible. I refuse to be lectured to by people with small minds and short memories. The party that protected Representative Ilhan Omar, who said uh, that it's all about the Benjamins, right? Congress supports Israel because Jews are paying them off. That was Representative Ilhan Omar. Rashida Tlaib, who covered up Israel on the map in her office when she became a member of Congress. Congressman Andre Carson of Indianapolis, who will not condemn Louis Farrakhan. Proud support, calls him a friend. Then, of course, there's the story, as came out on Fox yesterday, of Congressman, I'm sorry, Senator Raphael Warnock. The church Senator Raphael Warnock once belonged to often hosted a controversial professor. Leonard Jeffries was ousted for anti-Semitic and black supremacist teachings. He spoke at Warnock's church at least three times while the Democrat was a youth pastor there. Now, just because someone spoke there doesn't mean that Raphael Warnock uh, is guilty. Well, maybe it does. Maybe it does. I have no interest in being lectured to by bigots who proudly display their bigotry and nothing happens to them. And if I'm going to get into some level of comparison game, I will note that Trump moved the embassy to Jerusalem and gave us the Abraham Accords. Trump does things that drive me crazy. There is no excuse for this dinner, and I will not make it. I will not make excuses for Trump's absolutely awful decision-making. He hangs around bad people. He doesn't have the best people. He never had the best people. End of list. But I won't be lectured to, and I don't think you should be lectured to either. Is Kanye an anti-Semite? This guy is really convinced that Jews control the media. Leave that for later. He's convinced, though. Nick Fuentes, absolutely. There's just no question. And I think at this stage of the game, I think you can say about Kanye, yeah, this, this guy really don't like Jews. This guy hates Jews. This is who they are. They, they've, they've shown you. You might now, uh, with, with this uh, Tim Pool walkout, You might now have enough to say, all right, this is really who he is. And I went into, if you watch the video, and uh, it it should be up over there at at Locals, TonyCats.Locals.com. If not, Sarah, let's get that up and and repost it, and we'll get it onto uh, uh, the Twitter feed and everywhere else, and put it up at TonyCats.com and get it everywhere. Make sure it's everywhere. Um, I'm not about to condone it. I'm not about to try and make excuses for it. But my argument comes to you that I will not be lectured to by the progressive left. I will not be lectured to by anyone who does late night TV regarding Trump when they won't engage in a call out of Ilhan Omar, Rashida Tlaib, Andre Carson of Raphael Warnock. They don't want to share stories. Me, I share all of them.
They want you to forget about things. Me, I want to engage them. I want to know why it is we don't know any more about the guy who attacked Paul Pelosi. The NBC reporter who reported that Paul Pelosi came to the door, opened the door for the police, then went back to the attacker. That guy was suspended. No one has heard from that reporter. Why not? The Capitol Police weren't watching what was happening at the house via video camera. Why not? Paul Pelosi has a drunk driving conviction. Paul Pelosi has strangers in his house. We're not allowed to know anything else about it. Story goes quick, quiet. Ilhan Ilhan Omar's bigotry. Oh, you just can't talk about that. You're just anti-Somalia. That's, that's. That's what they say. You're anti-immigrant. You're against a a Somalian woman. All all the rest. Rashida Tlaib refers to Israel on a daily as an apartheid state. The liar that she is. Zero talk about her bigotry. Andre Carson, the only person who ever discusses it, is me. But what do I expect from the rest of, my, uh, you know, I, you know, in Indianapolis and uh, Indianapolis media? I mean, you, you want to talk about a bunch of cowards. Again, a uh, uh, conversation for later. Now this Raphael Warnock story, no one going to bring this up? These people are always hanging around with some Jew haters, aren't they? Representative Ocasio-Cortez on the phone with Jeremy Corbyn in the UK. Infamous Jew hater. Bloop. Don't matter. They don't get to lecture. I'm going to keep bringing it up. And this is not a moral equivocation. This is not whataboutism. This is about noting that there is a problem. And the problem exists in a lot of places. Why won't we say so so we can properly address it? Why can't we discuss this? Why is this the thing we're told we're not allowed to say? And my question for Kanye is, is the Jewish media keeping us from talking about this? Or is maybe, just maybe, your concept full of crap? Maybe with this kind of talk, we understand why Kim got the hell out of there. Remember, if I controlled the media, wouldn't this be my subject? But then you got to actually believe that I control the media. Again, a subject for later. You think I'm not going to engage all of the conversation? I'm going to engage every last bit of it. While other people cower and run, not us, not today, not ever. Everything is at TonyCats.locals.com. This is Tony Katz Today. So over the past couple days, I have been discussing issues within medicine, and one of those issues being the lack 
of medicine. I think it was Newsweek talking about the lack of amoxicillin, an antibiotic, that are available in, in hospitals. Very hard to treat people, whether it's kids with RSV, respiratory syncytial virus, which has been going up in cases, or a lot of other things if you don't have antibiotics. But ER doctors will tell you that there's been an incredible lack of medicines going on over the past year, past two years, whether you want to blame it on COVID or supply chain, really about where, where we get our things manufactured and we need to bring more manufacturing back to the United States, that they don't have access to the necessary tools to be able to be truly effective at their job. But it seems that hospital groups... They're not worried about this. They're making sure that doctors are using the proper pronouns. And here, doctor group, wear these rainbow pins and uh, make sure you understand what inclusivity is all about. Uh, Haven't we reached the moment where we want doctors to heal what's wrong with us so we can get on with our lives? Well, that leads to a conversation about what it is they're actually teaching at medical schools and what I, as described, hospital groups are providing Tony Katz. Tony Katz today, it's good to be with you. William Jacobson joins us right now. The mind behind legalinsurrection.com. He is the also the mind behind criticalrace.org, which simply goes about noting what it is that's happening in schools and universities all across the country and also medical schools and those schools which have embraced critical race theory uh, directly. This led to a conversation, an article over at Fox News, critical race theory related ideas found in mandatory programs at 58 of the top 100 U.S. medical schools and led to a piece from William Jacobson about how the House of Representatives should get involved here. A lot of intro there, William. I don't usually do that to you, but I appreciate you holding on. Let's start with, you know, what I talk about about hospitals and hospital groups is very true. I have the anecdotal and and other information, but it's what's happening in medical schools that is absolutely frightening. 58 out of 100 U.S. medical schools utilizing critical race theory related ideas. What is it that you found? Well, uh, what we've seen is basically what has happened in higher education, colleges and universities has trickled up into medical schools. So medical schools have very aggressive programs, and they call them different things. They might call it diversity, equity, and inclusion. They might call it anti-racism. They might call it a whole bunch of different things. But the core of it is the core of critical race theory, is to focus the analysis on race. Everything revolves around race, and that's what we're seeing. So we see training programs for students. We see course requirements for students. Not 100% of the places, but a majority of them now require that students adhere to and study these um, racial folk, race-focused theories of society and implement those when it comes to medicine. So when you approach medicine, you approach it from that same racial lens that a sociology major in, at Oberlin College might approach it. And so that's really the destructive aspect. It's taking medicine, which was always focused on an individual patient, and then putting those patients now into classifications in order to see achieve some perceived social justice end. And that's really the problem. It's really poisoning the whole atmosphere of medical schools. So let's talk about how this goes into application. Is this about how the patient is treated as a person or about how the patient is treated as a patient? 
Well, you know, that is one of the issues. And we've seen this in, in many, at many state levels during COVID, that there were prioritizations given to non-whites because of the perception that they've been victimized and that they don't, their communities don't receive the same health resources, things like that. But when a patient, two patients walk in the door, you treat those two people as individuals, not as proxies for their racial group or their ethnic group. And that's really the problem. And so we have seen this actually work its way into medicine and into how patients are treated. And that's the poisonous aspect of it. It's that it's not a theory. If you want to study these theories, you can take a sociology class in college. You can take a political science class in college. But why is this in medical school? Medical school was always supposed to be based on medicine, not based on polit politics and not based on social activism. And that's really what's the corrupting influence here. But let me uh, maybe turn the question a little bit. I'm talking to William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor, the mind behind LegalInsurrection.com. When a white patient shows up and a black patient shows up, one could argue you should treat each patient well in terms of hello, how are you, etc. But the actual course of treatment for each patient may very well be different based on those characteristics of white and black, just like they could be based on the characteristics of male or female, depending on the issue they've presented with. Are medical schools now saying, regardless of those factors that have a history of showing us, here's how you medically treat these people, um, don't pay any attention to that? There has to be a certain standard of care regardless of race or sex? Well, uh, two different issues here. One is how you uh, philosophize over the care of patients. When an individual patient comes in, of course, you take into account that individual patient's, um, you know, uh, condition or that individual patient's perhaps ancestry because some groups have greater tendency towards certain diseases and things like that. I mean, that's just a fact. I mean, Jews of East European origin have more tendency to carry the Tay-Sachs gene, okay? Um, so maybe you want to test for that. Um, there might be, for argument's sake, might be higher rates of diabetes in the black community. So when somebody comes in, you test for that. But that is very different than saying we're going to classify people and we're going to uh, provide resources to people and access to people based merely on their skin color. That's a very, so it's two very different things. And that's really what's uh, getting corrupted here, which is that, yes, of course, you take an individual patient's individual medical condition. Part of that medical condition could be their ethnicity or their race, because ethnicity and race sometimes create, uh, you know, medical risk factors. But that's very differently different than saying we're going to provide access to certain drugs based on race or we're going to provide community services based on race. Talking to William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor, the mind behind LegalInsurrection.com and CriticalRace.org. This brings us to your piece. The incoming House of Representatives should hold hearings on the destructive racialization of medical schools and medicine. All right, I'll bite. How in the world does the House of Representatives get involved here? Is this a, a conversation about necessary legislation to put an end to this? Is this about funding? What is it that you'd like to see the House doing? Well, I'd like to first see them explore it and expose it to the public, what's going on, because I don't think the public generally understands this. And two, it is a question 
of funding that the federal government funds so much of medicine, okay, either directly or indirectly, uh, funds so much of medical schools and hospitals, et cetera, through federal funding. So there are federal anti-discrimination laws. There are other aspects. So I think the federal government has a legitimate interest in understanding and exposing what's going on. Whether there is legislation required is not something that I'm really uh, clear on now. It might be that we don't need it. It might be that hospitals and that medical schools voluntarily can stop this stuff. But I think it's something, just because you don't know what the end result is going to look like, doesn't mean you shouldn't start to look into it. But people will say that the doctors know best how to engage levels of care. But we have seen that, for example, in Minneapolis, they had an entire medical school class talk about how uh, they have to stand up for the indigenous people, which I'm not quite sure how it connects uh, to, to medical school. What is the pushback that you're expecting from medical schools? Well, I think you're right. They'll say, oh, this is the, you're interfering in the doctor-patient relationship. Well, they're already interfering in the doctor-patient relationship by pushing ideologies that have nothing to do with medicine. Uh, why would a Native American land acknowledgement, that's what they call them, that's the trend now in higher education, what does a land acknowledgement have to do with patient care? So they are already interfering in that relationship. The question is, um, can they do that with federal funds? Can they use federal funds that are meant to teach students how to become good doctors? Can they also use those federal funds to teach political theory to those students, uh, you know, or sociology theory to those students? We don't know necessarily what the answer will ultimately be, but I think it's an appropriate mechanism for the legislative body that funds all this stuff to start to understand better what is happening and to have hearings on it. I think that's appropriate. Before I, I, I let you go, in, a, in an, a related but unrelated, in a piece that you wrote over at LegalInsurrection.com, uh, Dr. Fauci, who, who refuses to admit the idea that uh, a lab leak caused COVID, uh, saying it's, it's very, very unlikely, but his, he, he's willing to entertain the possibility, won't admit to the funding that we know took place uh, through uh, EcoHealth to uh, the, the Wuhan Virology Lab. As you have the story, in his deposition, he can't recall practically anything dealing with his COVID response. Is this Fauci getting ready to get out of public office and trying to avoid lawsuits that he do he doesn't remember what he said? I doesn't recall what he said. He's not sure what he said here. All he knows is, is he's a genius. That's all he knows, and everything else he's not so sure about. Is this a play to try and keep himself from being sued going down the road? I don't know. That statement that you read was a statement by the Attorney General of Louisiana, who is in attendance at the deposition as to how he characterized it. We don't have the transcript yet, uh, but the um, Attorney General of Louisiana basically said, said that Fauci basically had no memory of so much stuff. Uh, you know, and so that's a characterization, but it is from the Attorney General of Louisiana who was in attendance at the deposition. We don't have the transcript yet. I think Fauci, uh, I think he thinks very highly of himself. Uh, I think that's part of the problem. And I don't know what his plan is, but I think that his departure before the Republicans take over the House was an attempt to minimize the scrutiny of him. That's not to say he can't be subpoenaed, et cetera, to testify. But when you're actually a federal employee, 
you're under much you know more direct oversight by the Congress than when you're a former employee. So I, I think that he will probably try to fight to avoid having to testify publicly about anything. Uh, and uh, the attorney general there in Louisiana, Jeff Landry, uh, the exact quote was, wow, it was an amazing it was amazing to spend seven hours with Dr. Fauci, the man who single handedly wrecked the U.S. economy based upon, quote, the science, unquote, only to discover that he can't recall practically anything dealing with his covid uh, response. So the answer is, yeah, maybe uh, the plan is just to get out as quickly as possible and then question whether or not a subpoena is valid. That was Adam Schiff uh, in California. You know, is he worried about getting subpoenaed? Well, first, we'll have to see if the subpoena is valid. All of a sudden, uh, the Democratic Party learning that maybe you don't have to listen to subpoenas. Uh, this doesn't seem to be shocking, though, sir. Right. I mean, I think Adam Schiff needs to be put on a witness stand under oath and ask questions about whether he ever leaked any materials directly or indirectly, meaning through staff, to the press. Um, And I'd love to hear what his answer under oath about that is. William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor, the mind behind LegalInsurrection.com and CriticalRace.org. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us. More is coming up. I'm Tony Katz. So let's get into something serious. Do you put beans in chili or not? 833-468-8669. 833-GOT TONY. TONY CATS. TONY CATS today. I made for Thanksgiving. Uh, I, I, I made a 17 pound brisket. All right, all right, all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Daddy's got skills. In this conversation, I am daddy. And it was solid, but something was wrong. And I've been up and down with my briskets as of as of late, and I'm starting to think it's where I purchased the brisket. So it was it was a th- it was, after the trimming, let's say it was 15 and a half pounds, I use a Traeger, I use the Ironwood 650, and dude, I don't have a stall. A stall is when, you know, a brisket is, is a muscle, Kylan. I mean, that's that's what you're dealing with there. And so it, it after it gets to a certain amount of heat, it starts pushing out moisture. And so that moisture counteracts the indirect heat that's going on in the smoker so it doesn't get hotter, and it's referred to as the stall. And you have to work your way through that to get the internal temperature moving back up on your brisket. My smoker doesn't have that problem. I don't stall. It doesn't happen. It's crazy. So I am like 12 plus hours into this smoke. Something I, I figured would take at least 15 hours. I'm at an internal 200. I'm like, this mother's done. Done. I'm finished. I'm good. The brisket, it's got the smoke ring. It comes out juicy. It comes out solid. The point is not right. A brisket, when you do a whole pack of brisket, is the flat and the point. And it's these two... They, they're, they're, they're together, and they just look a little bit differently, and the point is it has a lot more uh, fat to it, and it's marbled through, and it's with the point you can make things like burnt ends and things like that, which is a whole, you can have whole family fights over burnt ends. The flat is just fine. But part of the point, something's off, something's wrong. It's not cutting right, and it's not, it's not feeling right, it's not pulling apart right. I'm like, I don't know what happened here. I'm starting to think that um, some of the places where I get uh, I get my my brisket, some places have better cuts of meat than other places, and I'm going to start avoiding one place and utilizing another place and trying out some other more local butchers and, and things like that. But I'm like, you can't throw this away. 
The problem here is that it didn't, you know how you get, basically you're getting that fat to kind of uh, melt a bit, if you will. You're, you're, you're breaking it down. That's why you go low and slow when you do a brisket, low and slow to break down uh, the tendons and everything else, really get that, that flavor and also to get that, that, that pull apart. It's not doing it. I'm like, I'll put this aside and we'll make a chili out of it. We will make a chili. There's no way I'm letting this go to waste. I can't. I can't bring myself to do it. So today, it was the cutting up of like four pounds of this point and throwing it in and a little spices and a tomato base and making chili. My, You know, I work from home. My entire house smells like heaven's waiting room. It is perfect. We, uh, we do it with sautéed onion, bloop, in a little sauce and spice. Bloop, bloop. Oh my gosh, it's so good. It's so good. But now comes this question. Beans or no beans? The people of Texas will tell you uh, beans. We don't need no stinking beans uh, because uh, chili is bean free. Others see it differently. Others see it differently. So the question is, do you or don't you? And can you do a black bean chili? Or is that just a heresy? I have, you know, I, I'm writing a book about barbecue right now. And, and you know, after this Thanksgiving, we decided to delay the book because I've been asked some questions about smoking a turkey. And I have a different view than other people. And there is no right, there is no wrong. But I realized that we really didn't get into turkey in the book and how to prepare your turkey for Thanksgiving is creates actual controversy and people panic. So we decided to delay the book to be able to write an entire chapter. We, we were sketching it out. We think we're at like 25 pages of just a conversation about freaking turkey and how to smoke it or uh, how do you, do you do low and slow? Do you do high heat? What in the bloody hell is spatchcocking, which you are allowed to say on radio, Kylan, I checked. I checked that it, 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 it is allowed. So you're, you're all right. You still keep a job right there. Uh, it's uh, Kylan's running the board today. Uh, it's crazy. And now I'm like, I don't actually care. I actually prefer it without beans, but I don't care if it has beans. Because you're talking about adding either a flavor element or you're adding a texture element, right? That's really what you're what you're doing here. Uh, the question is, uh, what are, what is the 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 case here of the do you or don't you? What is the thought? What is the philosophy of the do you or don't you on beans and chili? You let me know, Tony at TonyCats.com, Twitter at TonyCats, TonyCats.locals.com. I mean, you can find me. You can find me. It's easy to do. This is Tony Katz today.